Welcome everyone to the Bolt from the Blue podcast. It's Manchester City 3, Scum of the Earth 1. And we had scorers in Bernardo Silva, Mares, Pereira. There was one back from Rashford. Guys, this was one of the greatest first halves you've seen in a long time, but one of the most frustrating second halves ever. And uh, to talk this through with me, we have our normal to Bolt from the Blue men. First of all, we have Colin Savage. Colin, how are you doing? I'm not sure I've ever been described as normal. <laughs> <laughs> you, we've heard that crack before, but uh, Colin, I guess that you weren't at the game because of this whole um, ticket no, uh, no, fias- fiasco. Almost certainly would have been there if it if it hadn't been. So yeah, a bit miffed about that because it would have been a great. Great nights who have been there. Of yeah, of course, guys. Uh, just in case you don't know, on the Bolt from the Blue podcast, I have two men with me who go to the matches. They're match-going fans, at least to all of the home games anyway. And another person who I'm guessing wasn't there because of this idiocy with the tickets is um, Ray from um, City Fan TV. Ray, how are you doing? And uh, did you get a nice view from your television set? <laughs> Obviously, we, we won handsomely, and that's uh, helped my spirits, my post-Christmas uh, blues, dark days still. Uh, dark days for, for Ollie, uh, but I'm not going to worry about that. The, the light shining on City right now. And yeah, I, I couldn't go. I, I could have gone, but it would have meant leaving my two boys at home with nobody to look after them, which I, I think the social services uh, would have got me for that because my lads are only 11 and 12 years old. Yeah, my, my biggest gripe was with these ticket things. If they'd gone down, to, if they'd given us seven, seven and a half thousand tickets, I'd have been able to take uh, my lads with me and uh, they would have enjoyed a 45 minutes of football almost at its purest. Well, I can't remember when we've ever been 3-0 up at Old Trafford at half-time. I, know, even I don't in the, know if anyone else. I think even the 6-1, we were only 1-0 one, one nil up, 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 up we at half-time. We were only 1-up, yeah, yeah, yeah. It really could have been 10, couldn't it? Yeah. It could have been. Uh, guys, we have an opening question, and uh, we'll give it to Ray first of all. Ray, when we were trying to summarise that uh, first half, would you say that it, it was um, delight tinged with frustration? That first half? That first half was... Some of the most ex- exquisite football I've seen in uh, many a long year. It's it's just the way we we toyed with um, Manchester United. They had no idea what we were going to do, no idea how to defend against us, either individually or collectively. And it was just a superbly tactical masterclass from from Pep Guardiola, who's sh- showing once again there's life after Mikel Arteta. It was interesting, actually. I mean, obviously, that first half was just completely, you know, beyond our wildest dreams, wasn't it, in many ways? And the interesting thing for me, and I, there was a great article by the guy who writes under the name J.J. Bull in the uh, in the Daily Telegraph, and he echoed something I've already written about in King of the Kipax a couple of issues ago, actually, been down this track. Uh, and he said, we actually started off, when we saw the lineup. everyone thought, how, what the hell is that, that going to look like when they actually arrive on the pit? Uh, and he made the point, obviously we all saw it was a very, very fluid formation, but we we started off as a 2-3-2-3. Two, three, two, three. So we had the, the two, Fernandinho and Otamendi at the back. We had uh, Walker Mendy and Rodri in the middle. And then we had, um, well, I, I guess we had um, Gundogan and, and Ke- well, but it was Kevin De Bruyne or, or Bernardo, I'm not sure. I think it was more Kevin De Bruyne. 
then we had Bernardo, Mares, Sterling as the front three. And if you think about it, when and it was, one of the articles I was doing for King of the Kipax this time was about the history of the offside law. And, and that was changed in 1925 because originally you needed to have um, at least three players between you and the goal line to be onside. And of course, that was very easy to defend against. So, so teams only kept two players back, which is where the fullback, the term fullback um, came from. So you had two players who were fully back, and that made sure that the guy was always um, that, that made sure that the guy could never get in front of you. So um, in 1925, when they changed the law, only had to be two. So, so basically, without going into too much detail, they had to pull another player back. So the guy who was in the middle of the wing halves, not the yeah, the the the, the centre half, and you had a, a left half and a right half, right wing half. The centre half actually came to the back line, came into the back line. So so that's where the term. So we still use the term centre half, even though we mean centre back. And, and before 1925, and the offside law changed. That's the way teams lined up with two fullbacks, three three halfbacks. Two inside forwards and three forwards. And so Pep's not reinvented football. He's just gone back to, com- completely gone back to basics. So, so, and that's the way we started off last night with, 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 with two fullbacks, although the full, what we think of fullbacks are now wingbacks. You know, Fernandinho and Otamendi were the two backs, as we say, and then three, two, three. And that's the way football was played. You know, 100 years ago. Uh, Ray, just, uh, just uh, asking for a quick comment uh, from you on this article by Jonathan Liu in The Guardian. The title of this article is Shape Shifting City Almost Disappear from Sight as uni- United Grandees Look On. And his, um, his opening line is You can't hit what you can't see. On a mild but riotous night at Old Trafford, Manchester City served up a beating as swaggering and dominant as any they have managed at this ground. Is that going too far, would you say? Ah, it's not going too far. I mean, we were we were miles ahead of United. We we were speeding away from them like Zara Phillips uh, going down some country road in uh, uh, Gloucestershire before she got nicked by the the Rosers and uh, banned uh, from driving. So it's exactly like that. We we zipped away from United all over the pitch. I mean, as I said before. It was. It felt like such a complete performance of uh, a tactical masterclass. Players who I think some of them individually might not have played brilliantly individually, but as as it, the tactics and the setup, um, they played their positions perfectly. Uh, from 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 you know from Bravo at the back to uh, our fluid uh, front uh, four. I mean, you know, Colin had you know given us a two three two three. It could have been a four two four. I mean. With those four players, um, you know, so fluid up front. United, they were chasing shadows. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't normally recommend people to read the Daily Telegraph, but um, find this article by J.J. Bull. It's not a premium article, and it's a brilliant dissection of our tactics. And basically, everyone played everywhere. It was total football. Yeah. So, so starting with that two three two three, uh, Rodri would drop back into the back three, and we go to a more we could go to a more traditional four uh, three. Well, more traditional the system we played recently, the three four three. Or when United were in possession in their half of the field, we'd go to four four two. And what he was saying was um, the, the two front men would force the United players to go wide, so they stay central. They foot, they press, but force United players to go wide. Where the four midfield players were waiting for them. Yeah. So everywhere on the field, we set traps for them. If, you know, we have that extra man in midfield. If, if they tried the, the forward press against our backs, 
we always had an extra man in midfield. And we saw that so many times when, you know, we found our way out of trouble. And, and even if we couldn't, that, um, you know, we'll talk about the first goal, but that came from a long hoof by Claudio Bravo. Uh, and, you know, and when you talk about false uh, positions, of course, you know, we played that game with a false one. Some, some wags would have it. <laughs> I've got to say, I'm looking at that two-three-two-three, Colin. There have been times this season where I've seen us basically have two at the back. Usually, it's when we're winning. Um, There's a couple of I can't remember which game it was. Was it whether it was the Everton one or the Sheffield United? Uh, could have been the Everton one where we we effectively uh, because the opposition don't really do that much and they're they're focused on uh, defending. We end up with just two centre backs and that's it. And then you know our full backs are either inverted or pushed up. Yeah, I mean, this is exactly the, the point I made in King of the Kipaks. That, well, you know, when I started watching football all those years ago, um, actually, yeah, we moved on from the two-three, but we still looked at it as two full-backs. But so, so Mike Doyle, for example, was the centre-back, centre-half, centre-back, whatever you want to call him. But but that we moved to what what they call the WM formation because we had three at the back. So so the three at the back and the two half backs with the M, if you connect connect up positions, and then the W with the two inside forwards and the two wingers and the centre forward uh, with the M. And, and again, that's that's a, you know that's another another system that Peck likes playing because as we saw last night, um, you know Rodri can can drop into the back back drop into that back three. So we've got three at the back and the double pivot, and, and it was just you know Bernardo, Mares, they turned up all over the field. They had completely had license to roam. Even Sterling, who really had a terrible night, I'm not sure how he lasted 90 minutes. I'm not sure he lasted 30 minutes, to be honest. But, you know, even Sterling was all over the place. But, um, it, it, it was just, you know, it was just something we've, you can just watch and marvel at. I, you know, have we ever seen anything like that before? You know, was the Dutch total football? Um, like that. And of course, that's where it all comes from, isn't it? You know, Johan Cruyff, Rhinus Michaels, Dutch total football. Well, guys, if you want to dig deeper into what Colin's been uh, teaching you about, I would certainly recommend the book called Inverting the Pyramid by Jonathan Wilson. Yes. Goes into the history, history of uh, football uh, formations and tactics. He, Jonathan Wilson may not know exactly how much we have spent on left, back, left backs, quite hilariously, but he, <laughs> he does know about football tactics and, um, Interesting comment um, from Colin there, Ray. He described <laughs> Sterling as being all over the place. Um, that's a that's a phrase with a double meaning, and 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 on, <laughs> all, all over the place is exactly how I describe it. I've never been so disappointed with Raheem. He was like um, the one, the one uh, you know, dim light uh, among all of these sparkling lights. What is going on with Raheem? <laughs> And I can I just jump in there? Ray will understand why I'm jumping in. I compare him to a vegan sausage roll. It, it looks like something you should eat, but really it's not quite there. I guess you guys have you. you've shared some ve- <laughs> vegan sausage roll moments together. Well, but, uh, well, I don't know, but the vegan sausage roll, for, for all our mockery, apparently they've done really well. For Greg's, and uh, they've made uh, their profits are booming. Uh, so you know you can mock the vegan sausage roll, or you can mock Raheem Sterling, but he's still doing very well for us. Look, he was like a Jekyll and Hyde uh, kind of character last night. His um, he, the way he fitted into the system and the tactics that Pep adopted. As I said, some players they might not have had good, in, fantastic individual games, but in the system it worked so well. And so Sterling created havoc running. Same as all the guys, just there was like you said, shape shifting. They were just moving around, 
And they're like shadows for the United um, uh, defence and midfield. They did, just didn't know how to cope. But then on an individual level, he was as crap as crap can be. Uh, I mean, I don't, you, you can't dress up a turd. And he, <laughs> um, and he pretty much wasn't very good. Uh, so many opportunities. He's been, uh, I've said it many times on my channel, going back to the first international break, he was awesome. He was awesome the first four games. Uh, goals and assists, unplayable. People were talking about him uh, as being one of the top three players in the world at that time. He played well for England. He came back to City and he's been on a downhill slide ever since. I don't know what, you know, uh, what, what the problem is. Some people say it's because of all the stuff he does outside the football and all the H&M adverts and all the, the just, you know, um, promotion of Raheem, the brand or whatever. I don't know what, if that's the issue. I'm not going to say that's the issue, but something's, something's happened. As I said, tactically, he, he did what he was required to do by Pep. So he did his job. But on an individual basis, he probably should have had a hat trick last night and we should have been well out of sight. We should have been over the hill, hills and far away. We should have been. You know, six, seven, eight up on United last night. And the thing about Sterling is, even when he's not having a great game, he usually pops up with a goal or two. But it wasn't his night last night at all. It was a miserable night for him, I think. Here was the lineup, guys: Bravo, Walker, Fernandinho, Otamendi, Mendy, De Bruyne, Rodri, Gundogan, Mares, Bernardo Silva, and Sterling. And uh, yeah, I'm looking through that lineup, guys. There were great performances over the side in that first half. As Ray said, though, my goodness, guys, we should have been six or seven nil up by half time, and that was the only when I when I talked about delight tinged by frustration. That was the fr frustration, and uh, Sterling was um, the provider of of a lot of that frustration. But let's go to the first goal. What a cracker from Bernardo Silva! Let's talk about that one, uh, Colin. Well, I think I said earlier, he actually started with a long ball from Bravo. And we don't normally associate Claudio Bravo with accurate long-range clearances in the way we do with um, Edison, who can drop a ball on a sixpence uh, from, you know, 70 yards. But Bravo played a ball out and it found a City player, uh, I think Mares, who, who won it. And uh, it, a couple of moves later, um, he took it out, took it out to the wing, played the ball inside to Bernardo, who was just outside the, the kind of line of the 18-yard box, I think, on the right hand, on our right, Bernardo moved inside and just unleashed an unstoppable shot. I mean, um, we, we always joke about David De Gea that, um, you know, he's a great goalkeeper, but people always um, shoot straight at him. But this wasn't anywhere near him, and he was getting nowhere near it either. And, um, I mean, Martin Tyler nearly woke up when that goal went in. <laughs> what, is what, about, goal. what is it about Martin Tyler? Does he... Have a, a a bit of a downer on Manchester City. A lot of fans have been commenting about this. I hadn't paid too much attention to it, Ray, but um, uh, he, of course, was the one who famously yelled out the triumph at ninety three twenty. But um, because I don't really have access to British uh, commentary, I do. Um, I'm I'm a bit curious about this. What 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 is there uh, to know? I'll be quite honest. I, I try not to listen to Martin Tyler because, especially when City are doing well, because it, it's like he's commentating on a different game. You know, City playing a, a, a exquisite football, scoring fantastic goals, and he's just uh, his commentary becomes quite uh, banal and boring. But if you if an opposition team have a flicker of a chance, you can see that excitement in his voice um, to this, you know, to the the sense that he's almost going to wet himself, and that's just for a, a half chance for the opposition. 
And if they do score, it's got to be a wonderful goal. Or if De Gea makes a routine save, it's a world-class save. It's just boring and he's well past his uh, sell-by date. That sell-by date was many, many years ago. I've got to say one, one thing about, about this, the first goal uh, that I noted, besides the wonderful strike, what Riyad Mahrez did when actually um, Bravo uh, punted the ball up per uh, field, Riyad Mahrez leapt up with the defender and he won a header. He won a header. It's, it's incredible. You know, and it wasn't just like, because normally Riyad Mahrez is, I feel he's half-hearted in the air, but he, he was firm. He knew his role and he, that's why I say he played his role well. He jumped in the air. Headed it back to Walker, uh, who passed it inside to KDB, who passed it on to uh, Bernardo. I mean, we were, I've got a still of, uh, of that picture, of that scene where we had four uh, City players. It was like they were in a square. They were in a square. There was one United player in the middle of that square trying to chase that ball down. He had no chance. Um, and then you, 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 it's like United um, players didn't know what to do. They were just standing there watching and didn't know. You know, because we weren't, because of the false nine, we didn't, ha- we weren't pressing their defenders. So some of our, um, uh, forward players took a position between their midfield and their defense. So they were basically unmarked. And uh, in that case, Bernardo Silva was unmarked. You had Walker on the wing unmarked, KDB unmarked, uh, and Mares was the only one who was marked. It was crazy, um, uh, from United because they didn't change their tactics all the way through that, that first half. And as Colin said, it was a stupendously wonderful uh, shot uh, and goal from Bernardo Silva. It was indeed. And in fact, I think that was the complaint of uh, many of the United fans about uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, that he just doesn't do in-game management. And uh, this was a very, very interesting lineup, wasn't it? I don't think uh, it's it's getting a bit ridiculous how foolish it is to try to predict a, a Pep lineup. No Aguero and no... Gabby Jesus, no David Silva, and uh, yeah, it, it was it was the, the, it was a blur of in that first half, and of course, fifteen minutes uh, later, the goal scorer turned provider Ray for Mares, who got his goal. Talk about that one. Well, that was another another um, bit of um, fantastic play from City. Uh, it was a combin. I think it was a combination of uh, several players uh, contributed uh, to this op- uh, opportunity and the goal. Um, I think. If I remember correctly, it started with uh, a, a long ball from United, actually, trying to get behind our defence. And I think it was Fernandinho who headed the ball um, um, to, sa- to safety, basically. Fernandinho, I thought, had a cracking game. He was wonderful uh, last night. So the long ball went over. Fernandinho got his head to it. And I think it came to Mendy, who just, basically, Mendy, when he's under pressure defense, defensively, he just hoots the ball um, as far as he can. So he just basically leathered that ball high into the uh, night sky. And I think a United player came to uh, win it. But the ball uh, just broke to Bernardo Silva, who was uh, just inside our half. He took about uh, three or four touches. And then he played a wonderful ball. As Mares, I mean, if you, if you actually stop... Uh, 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 sorry, just turn it off, guys. If you, if you stop... If you stop the... If you have a freeze frame of when um, Bernardo passed the ball, you actually had three City players pretty much um, on their own. KDB, I think, was going on the right. Maros was going to the middle. And Raheem Sterling was out on the left. And, you know, the right ball could have gone to any of those players. But Maros was in the best position. Ball rolled through. One of the United defenders tried his best uh, um, to, to intercept it. He was left on his backside. 
And Mares got the ball just out um, on the edge of their box. De Gea came out. De Gea came out uh, to try, obviously, to to meet him. But it, it, the ball was so, so perfect that Mares took it in his stride and took it round De Gea and slotted it home. It was, <coughs> excuse me. It was a beautiful moment, guys. And uh, talking about well, being, we we, we did, the, did to them what they did to us at the Etihad. You know, we soaked up, soaked up a bit of pressure, hit them back on, hit them back on the break, bang, bang, bang. And uh, Colin, talking about being left, talking about Colin, talking about being left on your backside. Five minutes later, you couldn't have had um, a, a starker comparison between uh, two players in the league in this uh, little spat between Kevin De Bruyne and uh, Phil Jones when a swivel of the hips set this guy <laughs> right down. And that was a beautiful goal, too. I mean, obviously, yeah. it's a shame it wasn't scored by a man in blue, but it was beautifully worked by uh, by De Bruyne there, wasn't it? It was, and, and it was the roles were reversed because this time uh, Riyad Mahrez was the provider and he released uh, KDB who sent Phil Jones back to Blackburn, as someone memorably said. But, I mean, it wouldn't be a derby. You know, I, doesn't your heart always leap when you see the name Jones on the team sheet for a derby? <laughs> That's and the you, thing. You just, you just know there is going to be a Phil Jones moment sometime during the 90 minutes. Uh, and that was as good as it got, I think. And um, Kevin just sat poor old Jonesy down on his backside. And then I think um, he was probably a bit greedy. Because uh, he took a shot from a very tight angle, which which uh, David de Gea parried, uh, and then he, I think he tried to play Sterling in. I, I'm not sure if Sterling would have been offside if he played it to him that first time. He tried to play it to him the second time, but Pereira stuck a leg out and it flew in. And if he hadn't, I'm not sure the night Sterling was having, if the ball had got to Sterling, whether he'd have scored because he had one. There was one chance he had, which he fluffed completely in front of virtually open net uh, from a bit further out. So probably just as well Pereira got his foot in, given the sort of night that Sterling was having. Well, this was it, Ray. We went uh, 3-0 up, but it really should have been six. There were about, uh, I counted at least three glorious chances um, for City to do that. What did you make of them? Yeah, look, we had lots and lots of chances. Um, I don't know what. The problem was, you know, there was a, a chance for Sterling. I remember when Walker found himself up uh, as the most advanced player, and he was actually waiting to to put a cross in past Sterling, who uh, shot against the defenders, and then the ricochet came back to Sterling, and he couldn't control it. Um, I'm going to mention his name a few times. There was another time where KDB was on the right, and uh, Sterling was trying to stay on side, and KDB put the ball in. Sterling was ahead of the, their def- uh, defense. And he was, he was still offside when the ball came to him and he fluffed that, he fluffed the chance anyway, or I think he hit it straight to De Gea. De Gea made a save, which obviously the commentator said was wonderful, even though I think it was straight at him. And there was another chance where Sterling, um, was clear on the left. He was the most advanced player. And then he was looking for someone to pass to, might have been in the second half. And he, instead, he, he diddly dallied a little bit and he passed the ball to Maris, but instead of, um, passing it along the floor and he lifted the ball up to Maris. So the ball was, was kind of floated. It was taking its time and another great opportunity, um, was missed. It was just, you know, it was like we were just queuing up with chances. It, it, you, you, I think I said at half time, I did a stream. I said, if we score 10 goals, I'll pour 10, you know, for charity, I'll pour 10 buckets of cold water on my head. Uh, I thought that was, that was a risky forfeit to, to put up there. Because we, you know, that first half performance, it, it just felt like we could get six, seven, or eight that that game. Um, and it's it's been one of my gripes for a long time. We 
you're not clinical, doesn't matter how wonderfully well we're playing. Uh, I, I hark back to that Spurs game, 29 shots, two goals. Doesn't matter how good you're playing. If you're not going to take your chances and then you're going to give the opposition the odd chance here and there, um, then, you know, you might come a cropper and you might come to regret it. And I, I'm not trying to put a dampener on, on things, but this re- kind of reminds me of that Monaco Champions League game a few years back where we beat them 5-3 in Manchester. And I think, was it Leroy Sane or somebody had a chance at, right at the end to make it 6-3? Uh, and it was an easy chance and it was fluffed. And then that came back to biters. And I, I'm not expecting this to back, come back to biters. But we've seen we we can throw Jekyll and Hyde performances in uh, as we did a month back um, in the derby uh, at the Etihad against United. Um, and that was as, you know, as further from this game as you could probably uh, get. Uh, we were wonderful this uh, last night and woeful by, uh, back uh, five weeks ago. So, you know, that's my only concern is we're not taking those chances. We're having clear-cut chances, open goals, and we're not taking them. And, you know, against teams like you know, when we play the Champions League against Real Madrid, if you're only going to get two or three chances, you really ought to be sticking, uh, you know, uh, them all away. You can't afford not to be taking your chances when you're playing and the latter stages of the Champions League or any competition. Yeah, so guys, uh, despite that, there's a lovely, uh, lovely little um, summary uh, by the aforementioned Jonathan Liu when he says, this was willful, shape-shifting, shadows of shadows, a trick of the light, smoke and maris. Occasionally, Gundogan would be the furthest man forward. Occasionally, it would, it would be Kyle Walker, as with City's first goal, when he surged deep into United territory before laying the ball off for Bernardo Silva's unstoppable finish. Occasionally, he would be the deepest midfielder, picking the ball up um, between the centre-backs. Occasionally, it would be Mares, whose role appeared to be as much precautionary as predatory, hanging back on the right wing on Guardiola's frequent screamed instruction to deter the the quick outball to uh, Brandon Williams. It was a wonderful sight. 3-0 up at half-time, guys. But uh, I don't know what happened in the half-time break, but that was not the team, Colin, that emerged in the second half. Well, I think um, I think the uh, chief accountant had given the half-time team talk because uh, I think he must have said, guys, ease off, because we've got a lot of tickets to sell for this second leg, and if we win it 7 or 8 nil, no one's going to buy them. So, you know, let them get back into it. Let them, you know, not too much, but, you know, let's make a little bit of a game of it so they've got something to play for. And uh, so, so I think that I say I think the chief accountant, financial controller, whoever he is, gave that half-time team talk because we weren't. I think we came out thinking the game was won, and we have seen that before, haven't we? Where you know we get we get a bit complacent. Um, was it against Everton where we were two 0 up, and I think we switched off, started showboating a little bit. We 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 nearly paid the price. Now I don't think United were ever going to get back into that game to any significant degree, but you know. You, <laughs> You know we're going to struggle to keep keep a clean sheet when you've got Claudio Bravo and Otamendi on the pitch, and and so so that's the way it proved. And and United came out better able. It, it was six of one, half a dozen the other. United came out better. You know they they uh, they took Jesse Lingard, who again probably about I could probably get the vegan sausage roll quip in again about Jesse Lingard, but a vegan sausage roll at least gives you some satisfaction. Uh, Lingard. You know, people still talk about about him as this young player who needs to develop, and he's 27 years old. In fact, he's the same age as Phil Jones, believe it or not. And Jones seems to have been around forever, doesn't he? My goodness, and, Jones uh, only 27. I thought he was about 35. 
He, well, he, he just seems like he's 35, doesn't he? I mean, he's just, you know, I mean, you know, a, a, a year in Phil Jones is like two years of any other, anyone else's life. <laughs> Phil Jones' years. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> he so was, I think, and I, I say about Phil Jones, I still, um, you, you see clips on social media from time to time of people like uh, Housen and others, um, these uh, United so-called fans uh, on on uh, on YouTube and whatever, telling us how Phil Jones is going to be a future England captain and uh, Lingard is going to be this and so-and-so is going to be that and Rashford is the, you know, the, the messiah uh, and whatever. And it's it, obviously none of this is true. It's it's just uh, it's ridiculous. And uh, Colin, I've got I've got to congratulate you, Colin, uh, on something that you managed uh, during 2019. You managed to score as many goals as Jesse Lingard did in the, in the league. Uh, I, I and zero as many, assists, <laughs> as many assists. And I've uh, no no look, I'm look, I'm being uh, there was uh, something on. Um, Twitter again today about people uh, being cruel uh, to the United, some of the United players and booing them and calling them names and whatever. And um, but no, look, come on. Uh, so in, in his in his defence, Jesse Lingard did score a goal last season against Astana in the Europa League uh, in a game United lost to um, uh, to those part-time farmers from. Was it? Um, and yeah, I think he got an assist in the uh, Carabao Cup game against uh, was it Rochdale so it wasn't all bad for Jesse last year um, it was quite funny actually one thing that made me laugh was um, ESPN FC's Craig Burley who said about uh, Fred the United uh, midfield player that every time he sees Fred he's ushering a player off the field and he and this this is this is Fred's great contribution to the United cause and that's when a substitution occurs and Fred takes it upon himself to try to hurry the the outgoing player off the pitch, which is what he did with the uh, um, Mares when um, Mares came off um, on the eighty sixth minute mark. It was very very funny. But uh, guys, I I think that um, of course we were all deeply frustrated with that second half, and um, I was tuning my BDI on on a few players ind- individually, and one of the things I did notice, uh, Colin was. Um, was Mendy. Um, when Mendy gets the ball, he invariably passes back. It's kind of like um, Gael Clichy syndrome. Uh, I don't know if that's because of his of, of his injury, but his this um, I'm, I'm a bit confused about Mendy because um, this player that used to bomb forward for Monaco um, before we bought him, we I guess we have to appreciate that was against Liga defenses, um, and uh, maybe it made him it made him look really really good, but. Um, a bit frustrated with Mendy uh, in this game. What did you think, Colin? Uh, a little bit. And I think one of the problems was that our setup, where we've seen Mendy is best in the last few weeks, is um, where he's overlapping on the left. Um, and we saw that particularly against Everton, where he was superb. I mean, because he had um, he had lots of room and he used it really well. And some of the balls you put in were absolutely incredible. But he wasn't, that, that game wasn't really that sort of game last night because uh, a lot of the width was coming from the forward players rather than the fullbacks. Uh, and the fullbacks were really making up the numbers in midfield. Now, I, I, I thought he had, um, he was very shaky to start off with. But I thought in the second half, when we were under pressure, I, I thought it was a lot better, to be honest. And I, 
you know, I'm, I'm going to defend him really because I think what we're seeing is we've always said about Mandy, yeah, he's great going forward, but not so good defensively. I think we've seen him quite good defensively, certainly in a number of situations. So at first, I was it was a bit, I was cringing a bit. He was giving the ball away a lot. And, um, I think he was reasonably solid defensively um, last night, certainly in the second half. But yeah, it wasn't his. It wasn't the sort of game where I think we'd see him at his best. Is he? Is what I say about that. And uh, Ray, what about the other, uh, the fullback on the other side? Or fullback is not exactly the best word for it. But the, our very own blunt instrument, Kyle Walker, looking very, <laughs> very, very macho with his uh, trimmed beard and his um, his uh, shaved head, looking full of muscles, and um, he can really bomb forward. There's just not much at the end of it. He really needs to lay it off to people. Well, but um, I, I, I think you're harsh. I think you're harsh. Um, I mean, I think he's been criticised uh, uh, for that in the past. You know, he's got that, obviously, the searing pace and that ability to get into dangerous areas. And yes, his uh, end product has been fantastic. But I think last night, the two that stick in my mind was the pass to Bernardo uh, when uh, Kyle Walker zipped through, I think, a couple of players and then laid it off to Bernardo for the goal. There was the pass to Sterling where Kyle Walker actually used his brain. But... <laughs> That's two two things you sometimes get in the same sentence. Um, but he used his brain. He was the furthest man forward on the right um, when the ball was played through. And he waited. He did, just didn't hit a hopeless uh, cross into the box where we had nobody in the box. He waited till someone uh, stole in late, which was Sterling. And he, he laid the ball into his path. And Sterling, I think, uh, really sh- ought to have scored. Um, so those two uh, stick in my mind. Um, and I think he, he, he made a valuable contribution yesterday with that overlapping when required, with the surging runs when United were uh, trying to somehow cope with our uh, for, uh, floating uh, forwards. Uh, and Kyle Walker provided that extra person in midfield when required. So I actually think he had a, a, a pretty decent game. And, you know, if, if Sterling had got uh, some decent shooting boots on, Kyle Walker would have had a couple of assists and nobody would really uh, be, um, you know, having a pop at him and saying he didn't have a great game or whatever. I think his, uh, his end product was all right. Colin, what did you make of Rodri? Was it was it actually Rodri that lost possession uh, leading to Rashford's goal? Am I right about that? And jogging, uh, I, I think, jo- jogging I think back it, as well? It, yeah, I think it was. But I think Rodri had a very good game overall. Apart from that, he was, um, you know, he was playing that midfield role. He was dropping back into the back, in a back three or a back four. Um, I thought he was very, yeah, apart from what he had, he had one or two moments, but I thought he was where he needed to be doing what he needed to be doing at, at the right time most of the time. So, yeah, I'd say Rodri overall had a good game. Yeah, we're not going to dispute that. Kumbaya and everything, Colin. But, um, uh, Ray, um, I did for the first time really see what you were talking about, about the jogging backwards, um, because he, 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 he it was that lost possession that uh, led to Rashford's goal. And then you could, you could, you could see exactly your point. It was, it was kind of like, um, there was no urgency really from him to get he back. He was never going to get back. He was never going to get back. In fact, I thought KDB put a bad pass in. Uh, we were, at that time, the crowd were doing the Olays and we were, we were just strolling around. It was a, a training game exercise and the passes were just, you know, one touch layoffs. It was, it was, you know, wonderful stuff. It always looks brilliant until you make a, a mistake and something goes wrong. And yeah, when, when, uh, when 
when United were breaking through, um, whether it was Rodri or whoever lost the ball, it was actually um, Gundogan chasing back. And I don't think you associate Gundogan uh, with chasing back. And actually, I'm just looking at it again. The starting uh, positions for the two players, Rodri was actually further back than Gundogan. And Rodri just walked and then he jogged. And Gundogan was the one who obviously sensed the danger. United only had three players going forwards then. Um, and we had three players. In fact, it was probably three against four. We had four with Gundogan running back. Rodri just didn't bother. And that, you know, is very frustrating. And by the time in, 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 in the four or five seconds that United took to take that ball forward and score, probably Gundogan had made about 20 yards more than, than Rodri. Rodri was just jogging. Uh, and yeah, as I said, that's, it's disappointing to see because he's letting players get ahead of who he was level with. And by the time the goal was gone in, I'm not sure if it was Fred or whoever was on the left, totally free. Rodri was 20 yards behind him because he'd given up. And, you know, look, I, I've never said I was any good at playing football, but what I had was heart. And what I always did was chase on the off chance that, you know, that, if that Rashford shot had hit the, the pole and Fred or whoever, or whoever was on the left had uh, run in and tapped it in, Rodri would be kicking himself because he didn't put the effort in. You've got to, same way when you train, same way when you're looking for these marginal gains, you know, one or two percent extra, uh, and that can make the difference whether you're an athlete, whatever kind of athlete you are, um, whether you're on the track or a cyclist or whatever. And it's the same in football. You've got to sometimes go on those half chances. You've got to chase that ball. Sometimes that's hit over the top just in case the wind keeps it in. And you've got to chase as hard as you can when someone's going through because you never know. Your goalie might save the shot, the uh, shot might hit the post, whatever. And you want to be that rescues the situation. You want to be the guy that gets there first before your opponent. And Rodri doesn't seem to have that in him. Yeah, I think, well, in in all due uh, diligence, I think we should also note, of course, that it is Rodri's first season with City, and you'd imagine that uh, Pep would blatter that out of him in in pretty short order, um, probably during the summer. We can expect uh, improvements in one or two of these players during the summer, but um, yeah, guys, any other observations you want to make about this game, Colin? Have we said all there is to say? I think, um, I think we've said all there is to say. I think we've been pretty effusive about the way Pep managed it. Um, I think we know we um, eased off in the second half. We, we've had a go at Martin Tyler. We've got vegan sausage rolls into the conversation. I mean, I don't think there's much more we can say, really. I'm just trying to think of anything. That, um, I, I think the one thing was looking at the teams. Uh, when you look at the quality of our A starting eleven and B our bench, and you looked at United's, and, and fair enough, they've got, I think they've got... Low blow, um, Colin, low blow. <laughs> McTominay out, Maguire and Pogba. But I think those are the only three players that um, they haven't got. Now, now all of those probably would have made a difference. But again, when you looked at that bench um, and you thought, how are, they, you know, how are they in fifth place, let alone, you know, how are they not in the bottom half of the table? It's a very, very underwhelming looking team. And uh, talking to a United supporter about this, uh, and he said the same as me, that guys who are doing the job for United, the younger players, but they're not getting the support, they're not being supported by the older players. And, it, it, you know, and, and these guys are not a Beckham, but Skulls, Neville type kids. They need those older players, more experienced players around them. 
But when one of you, you know, when, when two of your more experienced players are Phil Jones and Jesse Lingard, yeah, you, you're asking for a lot. So how long? People talk about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and his limitations as a manager, uh, and I think that he has got a lot of limitations as a manager. But the whole, the whole um, ethos of, of buying and, and and you know strategy, the, you know, but almost throwing money at players like Maguire and Pogba so they can say they've got them. They're now talking about James Madison. Why the hell would James Madison go to Manchester United? And hopefully Harry Maguire will tell him not to bother. And of course the joke was, <laughs> the joke was, wasn't it, that there was a story in the press, and I, I can't believe this is true, that United have offered uh, Leicester 45 million plus Jesse Lingard for Madison. And then Leicester said, Leicester said, no thanks, just give us 35 million. <laughs> <laughs> it, it really is a place where young talents go to die, isn't it? I'm just thinking of that guy on the, on the bench, uh, uh, Diego Dallo, who was a very, very promising uh, fullback, I think, in, in La Liga, um, talked up by a, a lot of the journalists, and he's uh, basically just um, wasting his, 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 his young career uh, there at United. He's not, be, he's not um, progressed at all. I mean, and uh, uh, a plethora of um, academy talents that, that just basically... Don't seem to cut it. Um, Gomez, uh, Talith Chong, I think, is another one. But yeah, it's it's delightful. I think the City fans were were singing, we want you to stay, we want you to stay, to Oleg Gunnar Solskjaer during the game. That was quite prominently reported. But uh, yeah, who cares about them, guys? That's a 3-1 um, advantage at halftime, you might as well say, because we've got the uh, the second leg at the end of the month. We've got Aston Villa up next, who... Um, who I think drew 1-1 with Leicester Ray tonight. Was that right? That's right. That's right. It sounds like they put up a, a good show. I didn't watch that game. I was uh, doing a, a live stream. But uh, yeah, I mean, that, that, that game hangs in the balance because um, in the League Cup, away goals don't count for anything. So if, it, if the game's, uh, if the scores are level at the end of the second leg, it goes straight to penalties. No extra time, no away goals counting uh, double or anything, straight to penalties. Um, so, um, you know, it, which is a, when you look at it, it's a bit of a shame because if, if they did count for something, then we, we know United would have to score at least three to beat us. Um, and I can't, I honestly can't see them doing that. Absolutely. Well, guys, just a, a little fun report to, um, to finish off with just in, in view of something that we were speaking about uh, in, in the previous uh, pod, Colin, in the Daily Star, there is an exclusive that Manchester City are willing to offer 93 million to Real Madrid for Isco and Eder Militao. And, uh, <laughs> well, and as, as I always say on these occasions, of course, the first thing Chiki Bagiri staff does when we decide on our target is to ring up the Daily Mail or the Match Streaming News or the Daily Star. And, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, ama- a- it's amazing that the, the reasoning behind this is that, um, Florentino Perez signed uh, Eder Militao um, as a, a, a long-term replacement for Ramos, but Zidane has shown not much interest in Militao, has been playing uh, Ramos pretty much right from the beginning of the season, and therefore, because he's not been playing, he is ripe in this in this double move, Ray. Double move, double for, move. For, for, for Militao and, I, and, and I Isco. Could believe, I, I could believe Militao, because that's a position we need to fill. But Isco, we do not need. That's got to be the longest. We've never needed him. It's the longest running red herring in Man City transfer uh, rumor history. When did that all start, guys? Where uh, was Isco. it? Isco was that Pellegrini. like T- uh, Pellegrini? 
Pellegrini, because oh, uh, Pele, under Pellegrini, was it Malaga? It was. I, I mean, we thought it was a done deal. We weren't putting any more pressure on it because he was. He went off to something like the under twenty ones uh, Euros or something or Worlds or whatever it was, and um, he was going to sign afterwards when he when he got back. But whilst he was away, I think he had a good tournament. Uh, one of the Real Madrid players uh, who was also there got into his ear. And uh, he changed his mind, and he ended up at Real Madrid. And it it just kind of tells you, you, you know, nothing's um, um, uh, you know signed until it's it's, it's signed. Basically, no one's going to come on, you know. And that's why some City fans say, until we see the player in a City shirt, we're not going to believe anything. That but we're that's going. the thing, Ray. Right? We I saw think... we saw Isco in a City shirt because there was a there was a Grady summer holiday <laughs> photograph with yeah. um, with Isco and a couple of his mates, and he was wearing a City shirt. So. That maybe that's the thing that gave it all of the momentum. I yeah, can but... I can give I can give you some insight into Isco because I I had a contact who knew someone uh, quite well in the in the Spanish FA and um, uh, this guy was at the negotiations. So um, apparently we we had a deal done. He wanted to come for Pellegrini. Obviously, he knew Pellegrini. We'd agreed personal terms. We'd agreed a fee. I think or, or whether it was a buyout, I don't know. But right at the last minute, everything was agreed. And right at the last minute, someone, whether it was father or his brother or someone, came in and said, I want five million euros. Uh, which we, and of course, we always say no at that point. And the same thing happened with uh, Aiden Hazard. Brother yeah. or, or his brother, his father came in with a, a demand once everything, all the, all, everything was on the table, ready to sign. Uh, and that is the story with Isco. So, and, and having said that, given the woman under the same ownership, I can't see us going back for him, but, but no. for that reason alone, let, let alone that we don't need him. I mean, it's interesting. It's, sorry, I was going to say it's interesting when you read the headlines, transfer news headlines. And the first one I read is City willing to offer Real Madrid ninety-three million pounds for that double deal that you mentioned. Um, the next one, Man City plotting transfer move to sign eighty million euro rated former Barcelona star. Next one, Man City make inquiry for Bundesliga star. Uh, next one, players' father paid visit to Man City. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's absolutely crazy. And, um, everybody's out there trying to get these stories, basically making stories up because that's all it is, is uh, clickbait. I can tell you now, none of them are going to happen. Well, Ray, uh, from the same source that I think that you might be looking at, I think that, that there is one particular headline that does, uh, uh, basically take the cake. And I think this is a cause for depression and, uh, um, and, and sadness for, for, for all of us, really. And, um, the headline is Manchester United Chief Ed Woodward <laughs> blocks Ashley Young's Inter Milan January transfer. So guys, oh, my wine. goodness, if you were hoping, if you were hoping that, um, Ashley Young, that great United player was going to be off to Inter Milan, unfortunately, it looks like that's off. So he will, he will, yeah. con- he will continue calling. Is he one of their... Wood, Wood was going to be, uh, Ed Wood was going to be careful because he's obviously our agent, but he's playing his hand a little bit too um, yeah. uh, openly here. Well, I don't understand. Is Ashley another one of their rising stars like uh, Phil Jones and uh, Jesse Lingard? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, but yeah, I yeah. think that the bad news, guys, is that it looks like Ashley Young is going to stick around to torment us for years to come. <laughs> anyway, I think, guys, I think that that's, that's all we've got time for uh, on this particular pod. So we'll, uh, we'll just uh, bid the boys adieu. 
uh, until we uh, talk to them again after the game against Aston Villa. Ray, thanks so much for coming on. Absolute pleasure, Mike. And the same to you, Colin Savage. Well, of course, it's always a pleasure to gloat over a win against United, isn't it? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, guys, uh, there you have it. That's our take on that particular game. We'll see you again after Aston Villa. So until then, have one on us, guys. And up those blues. Manchester is blue. Up the blues. Oh, no!